Well, well, man, this David series is doing a number on me. Whoo, man, let me tell you. Mm. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Psalm 51 relates to that. And I was just, man, there's so much in the practical things, so much uh, uh, to just let the Lord reveal in our own hearts. And I was working it and working it and working it, and it was so much material, and it was so much material, <laughs> just I couldn't make it one part. I couldn't make it one, one, one part. I couldn't do it. Um, and I was, I was frustrated with that because I've, I've kind of charted out with the calendar, you know, what, what more we have left, and then we'll go on to the next series, and I was, you know, really resisting that. And, um, and, and I realized as I just quieted myself over that, didn't let frustration get to me, is that this is important in the Lord's sight. These chapters, these themes that we're getting into today are important to the Lord's sight. And that he wants, he does not want me to rush it through. He doesn't want me to condense it down. He does want me to spend at least two Sundays on it, maybe more. And um, it's just that important for us that we don't just, oh, this is another good David story. No, this is something that God is speaking to us. And, and it's about holiness and purity. And we've been praying and we've been even seeing there's been a, a Lord God, revitalize our heart in worship. Lord, stir our heart for worship, and I, I, I believe he's doing that, and we're going into a season in that, and we're looking at a, a, a worship series in September and how to go deeper in that and, and getting excited about that, and, and God is saying, this is part of that. Because blockages in your holiness and purity being tainted by compromise and sin in your holiness and purity will dull your worship. Your heart will get dulled toward worship. And so this is part of it. This is really in the same stream. It's not like separate or whatever. This is important in God's sight today. And, um, and so uh, the title of this message is To Hell and Back. And that's an expression because uh, David didn't go to hell literally uh, in this story. It's, it's an expression to give emphasis of how dark and deep in the pit of, of just miry nastiness of filth and corruption can a godly man go. We're going to see it in this story. It, it's as close as hell as you could get without going in through the, the gates of hell. He lived this on earth, and yet... Because of God's great loving kindness, there was a way back for David. And he found it. And so though this story is a tragedy, it's painful to see it build. It's a warning to us to wake us up that all of us are susceptible to temptation and falling away. Be cautious, be alert of the enemy's schemes and the world's ways and know the word of God because this is a warning to us and yet it's a great hope. It doesn't matter how far deep in the darkness of that pit, so far from God you go, that as long as you're alive on this earth, there is a, a merciful God 
that has a way back of restoration. And so we are, let's just go to prayer and, and open this up in prayer. Lord Jesus, wow, your word is so rich. It's so applicable for today. Though this story is 3,000 years ago, Lord, it is, it is full of wisdom and discernment for us today in 2023. So thank you for this powerful revelation of your word. And thank you, Lord God, of this great warning and this great hope that there is a way back wherever we're at today into your holiness and purity of being clean and pure before you. Praise God. We're so grateful. Enlighten your word to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you uh, to turn, if you have your Bible or Bible app, to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so we're going to, Lord willing, uh, try to cover most of this chapter. And then again, Lord willing, I say that a lot because I can't always predict what will happen during the week, right? So chapter 12 will be our, uh, our focus next week. And yet, Psalm 51, I was going to try to cover it all today. We're just going to hit the first few verses of it again, Lord willing. I don't want to predict what he's going to do here. And, um, and so we will get into Psalm 51, which is about this experience that David had. And so what has happened before 2 Samuel chapter 11, the message that I had preached uh, before this a couple of weeks ago was David bringing the ark back uh, uh, into Jerusalem. He had recently conquered Jerusalem. He, he became king of the southern uh, tribe Judah at 30. Now he's about 30, 30, uh, 37, 38 in, in, two, in the story two weeks ago where he brought the ark back. Um, and, and all of Israel was, he was king over all of Israel, all the tribes of Israel. There at that age, 37, brings the ark back. Uh, he blew it. You know, he did not, and, and he and his spiritual leaders did not study the word of God carefully enough, right? And, uh, and there was an innocent man who died uh, touching the ark there. And uh, he sought God, read the word, did it right uh, the second time. And so what happens after that is he is blessed. He is blessed beyond measure. In fact, after bringing the ark in, uh, there's actually a, a covenant making between him and God. And God says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Then my son, the Messiah, will come through you. And he continued to prosper. He was, uh, uh, his kingdom began to, began, uh, continued to expand. The borders that God had promised to Israel, he kept following, you know, the, the pushing out the enemies of the Lord and the borders and getting and expanding. I mean, he just had victory over victory. And now scholars aren't sure he's about 45, you know, in the mid-40s, maybe as old as 50 years old in this chapter right here. Probably, you know, I'm thinking more mid-40s, but, I, you know, we don't know. It doesn't really, really matter. And so he really is at a pinnacle of success, of respect, of authority, of power in the Middle East. I mean, he is known worldwide as far as the, you know, the, the messengers and the trade routes went. He was 
the most well-respected, you know, in, in the whole region, the Middle East. He is such at a pinnacle right now in his leadership, in his kingdom, in his rule. Just amazing. He also developed the worship system in the temple like none other, 24-7 hours of worship and prayer. It's amazing. Verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Israel. Now, we're just going to stop, and we're going to take some of these verses just one at a time. And I'm, I'm, I'm affected by this verse. Folks, here's a warning. It, it was the time when kings go out to battle, but David stayed in Jerusalem. He had a purpose. He had a direction. He had a responsibility, and he had a role, and he decided not to do it. Joab's is a strong enough leader. I'm just going to stay back. He is putting him, has put himself in a vulnerable place because he's chosen, I am not going to worry about my role, my leadership. I'm going to just let someone else do it. Now, if you read the story and, and hear, get the whole context, we don't, we, 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 there could have been something else. It could have said he stayed back in Jerusalem to work on the uh, project of, of expanding the the construction on the uh, south side of the city, right? I mean, it could have said he stayed back for a reason. Because Joab was an incredible general, and he really could take whatever city he wanted to because he, he was uh, an amazing general, amazing army of fighting men that David had trained. He and jo- Joab had trained and brought. So he really could have stayed back, but it never tells a reason why. And... So he is a purposeless man. Let me give you a warning. When you retire, God has a purpose for you in that season in your life. Hey, rest is good. Changing schedules is good. Retirement is a blessing. Take it. Go for it. But do not enter it without a purpose that you haven't received from God. Why do you still have me on the earth, Lord? Because... I need a reason to get up in the morning. I need a reason to be motivated because that's a vulnerable place. I'm just open to too much. My guard is down. I don't want to be vulnerable. Whatever it is, if it's success like David is experiencing where things are going so well, it's just, wow, what else good things could happen? And you just start dropping back without purpose and direction and vision in your life. God gives us vision and direction and purpose in our lives. All right, let's read the next sentence. Verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. Say, what? He is so lazy, it is evening time, and he's still in his pajamas. That lets us know that he really doesn't have purpose. He has nothing to do. It sounds like the pandemic days. You know, you just stay in your pajamas all day. Nobody's going to see you. And you just stay, uh, you know, with your hair messed up. You never brush your teeth. And you just, it looks like a pandemic day, doesn't it? 
And so this is an indication that now he is adopting. And this, this, this man is, is a mighty warrior. You don't sleep and just stay in bed all day, lounging around. If you have a warrior's mentality, listen, he has adopted this system. His life style is changed, and laziness is a serious compromise of a man's character, of a leader's character. Do not treat laziness, laziness lightly. You read in scriptures, there's warnings about laziness. And here he was, the most successful man in all of the Middle East, and he's still hanging around in his pajamas at the end of the day, lazy, laziness is developing in his daily lifestyle. Let's read the next sentence of this verse, verse 2. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and a woman was, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now, let me give you some ideas of about the uh, the way the city would have been organized. His palace would have been the largest and tallest rooftop in the whole area. That would have been totally wrong and offensive for some wealthy guy to build something taller than the king's palace. And his closest uh, leaders in government, military leaders, powerful people would have been living in that neighborhood near him. Okay? And the, but their roofs would have been, and so he's got, and they did have flat roofs, and they, you, that would be something in this type of construction you do. You would go on the rooftop for whatever reason. That's not unusual. And he would have been able to see in windows. He would have been able to see into courtyards on their rooftops. He would have been, and it's late in the day, and this is what he saw, a beautiful woman. She's bathing. It's probably, uh, you know, in, in an appropriate place in her house. But there it was, because of his vantage point there, he could see her taking a bath. And right now, all we see is that he notices her beauty. He sees a beautiful woman. That's all it gives us in this sentence. Listen, God... <laughs> made you ladies beautiful. Beautiful on the inside, beautiful on the outside. It's an inner and outer beauty. God made you beautiful. In fact, uh, in all creation, he waited to the woman uh, to create her last, and he put the most beauty, uh, beauty into her, beauty from heaven, and she's the pinnacle of creation in her beauty. You ladies are amazing. And so, us men, we see beauty all day. We see it on TV and in advertisements. They want to show and capture our attention with outward beauty because God even created men with an eye to notice beauty. It captures our attention, and advertisers know this. And so all we have right now in the story is that David saw a beautiful woman. She was taking a bath, and, but that's all we get. He sees her. There's been no violation at this time. There's no, nothing that he's done wrong as far as sin toward her, even though he has no purpose, he's vulnerable, and he's a lazy, lazy bum. So what happens next? So he has this desire for beauty. He sees the beauty, but so far there's nothing 
that's gone wrong. Verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Why is David inquiring about the woman? Why is he even going there? It was this. He walks to the edge of his rooftop. He sees her. He goes, oh, sorry about that. And he turns around and he goes off to what he should be doing. It could have been that much of an incident. A one second, oops, let me just turn and go about what God has got for me today and the purpose I have in my life. But he doesn't have purpose. He's lazy. And so he takes the second and or third look and he inquires about her. So now temptation is happening and is he is falling into, he's starting a process of falling into temptation. Because before it was just, he noticed her beauty, that's it. First look, turn away. Now, I want to say something that's really practical here. That when you look at the temptation of lust, which is what this incident is about, and pornography today, it's mainly a, for men, a vision-driven enticement and temptation. And in general, pornography takes the beauty of a woman and just completely erases all of her value and worth, her inner beauty, her life, her personhood, and just puts her out there as a sex object, a visual sex object. Now, men and women are tempted differently. Women, I don't expect you to understand this, okay? There's other ways, even though that is among women as well, there's a different type of temptation that allures women in lust versus men. It, yet, we, all, we both do it the same. I mean, we all do it, but there's some different, and that's another teaching, and it's a really good one for uh, romance and marriage and dating series, really good. But so I'm speaking in this scenario that men, we need to make a covenant with our eyes, like the Bible says, and say, hey, first look, you're gone, you're out. You can't help first look. I mean, someone walked, whatever, you know, you're just out and about, and you're, you can't help first looks. You notice beauty. Ladies, even Christian men are created to see beauty. It's not that, uh, uh, that, that this, you know, every man is some, you know, lust bag or something. No. Men are created to notice beauty. But he goes beyond the first look. He goes into second and he inquires about her. Listen to what this servant responds in verse 3. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, this is a person. This is someone's daughter. In fact, this is Uriah's wife. This is somebody's wife. They respond with complete identifying her as a family member, a part of a family. Now, Uriah, we'll see, is is one of his 30 mighty men. If you read into that list, 
He had special forces that he trained and developed. And Uriah was what he knew, or Uriah. He trained him. In fact, Elim, he, he probably knew Elim too. In fact, there's an Elim in, a, in another part of the, the 30 mighty men. And there's, there's another Elim with a different Hebrew name who bet- was part of the betrayal of David later on. And scholars think, hey, this could be the father of Bathsheba who was a part of the betrayal because he hurt inside with unforgiveness on what David did to his daughter. So David had a chance to, okay, she's somebody's daughter, somebody's wife. I'm falling in temptation. Lord, I'm walking away. I'm going about my day. But he's lazy and he has no purpose. Now, I want to add something uh, for man as a little, and I can't, as a little pointer, I cannot remember where I first heard this. Surely this, this is so good and helpful. I didn't come up with it myself. Of course, the Lord could show me, right? But I heard, and I've, I've applied this many times, when I'm tempted to the second and third look, is pray for her. She's a stranger. I don't know how to pray. Straight pray for her because it makes her now a person, somebody's daughter, somebody's wife, somebody that God died for. He, Jesus Christ, Christ died for her to, and has a purpose for her. And so I'll just, you know, even I don't even, I don't even know this prayer. Lord, bless her. Lord, may she experience your love today. Well, it's somebody on the TV, it's just an actress. Or what? What? There's still a person. Pray for them, and that helps me bring this this experience out of just a lust, greed, sex object to a person that God created and God is working in. So pray, and the devil hates that. He's he's trying to put lust in me and trying to, and he got prayer was birthed out of my spirit instead. I love it. All right, let's move on. Next scripture, verse 4 and 5. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her purity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Wow. Now notice it says the word took. They sent measures and took her. Let me tell you, folks, this story sets this up, that this is the most powerful man in that known world of the Middle East. He has all the authority. He is the king. He ordered, he commanded her to come. He took her. He didn't allure her, manipulate her with this or that, or invite her to this and didn't this and then No, he took, he ordered her, and she had to come and had to obey the king. We don't have any sense that, that Bathsheba did something wrong in this process. All the weight of the responsibility is on David, the leader, the man of God, the man after God's own heart, really? Now, this message is like a you know, five-course meal. And 
This, I'm just going to give you some chunks of good eating here. I mean, look at, look at what a, a five-course meal involves. Go to that image for me. You got the appetizer. Mm-mm-mm. Would you like a little shrimp cocktail or some potato skins with bacon and cheddar? I mean, you know, you got some nice warm little cup of soup. You got salad. Uh, that supposedly is supposed to cleanse the palate and get you ready for the main course, the entree. And then the dessert. Mm, the best is for last. And we're going to see how this is so much food for the soul. And we're going to jump in here on the appetizer. We're going to have to jump to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Because what we're seeing is described in this New Testament passage is how does what is the nature of temptation and sin? Well, James chapter 1 is going to show us. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let me tell you, folks, there is a battle of temptation in your life, and those who endure it will, will be approved and re- receive a crown of life. We're all tempted. You can't Get away from temptation. You can't, like, get out of the world and just totally remove temptation. Now, you can increase temptation by what you see, where your feet is taking you, what you say, how you think. You can increase temptation by the people you hang around with and the, the, uh, the music and the, and the uh, podcast and the shows you. I mean, you can increase temptation by the choices you make but you can't fully get away from temptation. It's going to be there. Next verse. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So the nature of temptation and the nature of sin is just to gradually work on you and just give you little hooks here and here and here and bigger hooks and big hooks until it's, oh my goodness, the destruction is so great, the pit of darkness is so low that death and hell is right next to you. This is the nature of temptation and sin. Let's look at it and summarize this passage again real quick that everyone is tempted by desire. We can't escape temptation. It's going to be, there's desires to see beauty. There's desires for success. There's desire. These things are given by God. So we all have desire. Number two, desire leads to enticement, where it turns from a desire for godly things and it can turn for selfish and greed things. Number three, enticement leads to sin. And number four, Sin leads to bondage, and number five is bondage leads to destruction and to death. It is John 10.10. For the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, to kill and destroy. This is the devil's plan for your day-to-day, for this week, this month. Do you realize you do have a battle of temptation that the devil sees where you're vulnerable, where you're compromising, where you're lazy, etc., and he's looking at strategy on how to effectively 
kill, steal, and destroy your life. But it says that Jesus is the good shepherd. And we're the sheep. And the good shepherd wants for sheep. And he has his will, a good plan for us to receive his life and have it abundantly. Even if we're in a dark pit, overwhelmed by our own bondages of sin. Now, what happens next in this story is a big cover-up. This is the man of power, leader of a whole nation, who says, I've got to hide this sin. Somehow I've got to cover it up. I'm going to step into a plan of deception. And so what he does is he sends um, uh, a note, uh, a messenger to Joab and say, hey, bring Uriah the Hittite to me, okay? Let him come off the battlefield. I know that's kind of strange, but, you know, I need to spend some time with him. Bring him to me. And Uriah is so noble, David cannot manipulate him to just go home and be with his wife for one night. He says, hey, go, go to your house. You know, why? Tell, us, tell me how the battle is. Okay, all right. Yeah, now, well, don't just go to your home. And he's like, Uriah's like, why am I here? And just go to your home, wash your feet. Hey, I'm, in fact, I'm going to send you a bunch of food. Just have a candlelight dinner with you and your wife. Just go enjoy that. And Uriah says, no. He sleeps outside at the doorstep. I'm going to protect the king. My soldiers are in the field. The ark is in the field. We're, this is the time of war. I'm dressed in my armor, and he doesn't go home. He does this for two nights. On the third night, he brings him in. Dave brings him to his palace, gets him drunk. Now he's going to go home. Now this is it. This cuff, he's going to go sleep with his wife tonight, and her pregnancy is his. Hey, the boy might look just like me. Oh, gosh, I don't, we won't worry about that. And, uh, you know, and he still sleeps outside and doesn't go to his home, even though he's totally drunk. What a man of nobility that David and Joab trained. This is a pupil who's risen above his master of nobility and honor. So, David kept this plan of cover up going. He says, Roy, come here. You can go back to the battle. Take this note and give it to Joab. It was his death sentence. The note said, Joab, put Uriah at the front lines, redraw from him, and let him be killed in front line of battle. What Joab ended up doing was sending a whole unit to attack the wall because nobody would understand why did we leave our leader Uriah by alone. <laughs> you know, so Joab just sent a whole unit down. So it wasn't just Uriah who died in that battle. It was, who knows, a, 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 you know, some kind of unit of attack of men, young soldiers who were valiant, willing to go into danger, and they all were killed. Bathsheba goes into mourning. And it doesn't tell us how many days. That could have been 30 days, could have been whatever amount of days where she is in mourning. They would set times like that for your husband, spouse, family member. Verse 27 of chapter 11. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. 
But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, I'm going to, if we keep going, we'd go into chapter 12. I'm going to give a spoiler alert of what happens here next, but we're not going to dig into it till next week. So, David goes into about a year of this cover-up. Living a lie, living in deception. Bathsheba has got to lie as well and live a life of deception. And we're going to see God's rescue of this leader in detail next week. We're going we're gonna to jump into some right now because I want to spend some time in the New Testament right here and not stay with the story. So 1 John chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 5. God's given us wisdom today on how to live a life of purity before him. And if when we get into falling into temptation, falling into sin, God has a way of rescuing us. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, that's Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Folks, there is a grayness. There is a a shadows that temptation wants to just get us in. A place of confusion, a place of mixture. God God has a way to, to lead us and keep us in the light. But these Small temptations are trying to get us in grayness, confusion, and then into darkness. Where we're blind, where we don't know where we are, where we're just compounding sin upon sin. But it is God's way to expose that darkness. That's what light does, right? Anytime you flip on a switch in a room, that light pushes out darkness. And then you can see what's in the room. It's important for this room right here. I'm going to tell you, I've tried to walk through this room from here to here during the week with that, the light's on. And you can stump your toes, so I know how to just put on a little bit of light so I can get her. And this is what God wants to reveal to us, is, Lord, am I in getting in the shadows and the greatness? Am I getting confused? Is it getting into darkness? God wants in his light to reveal to us what's really happening around us, the obstacles the traps, the dangers, and this is his way. Let's keep looking here. Verse 8, 9, and 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. David's humility back when he brought in the ark and realizing he made a mistake was the key to the turnaround that God was the God of a second chance. And that humility opened this door for God to be faithful in his love, in his mercy, and his forgiveness. Our pride blocks 
the wave of mercy and loving kindness to, re, to wash us clean. Our pride blocks that. David was so proud that his image of being the great holy leader of this, this nation ruled by a godly king and God protected him, his pride led him to murder. And so we need to heed this warning that the darkness that we find ourselves in can lead us to greater and greater sins. But verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a good cup of soup right now. Going a little deeper in the meal. Good cup of soup. That God is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. We're so grateful. Now, what happens is that unconfessed sin is the devil's trick to keep us in darkness and bondage. Because confession of sin is the starting place for repentance. Repentance simply can be uh, uh, defined as going a new way, turning toward God. You're going away from God and your thoughts and and what you're hearing and seeing and doing and your actions. And you're going in a a wrong direction, a place of darkness, getting to turn confession, honest confession of that sin is the start of the path of repentance going the other way. It's like in a, a race, they have, if it's a long race, you know, those guys get down in a crouch. If it's, if it's some speed race, you know, they get it down, you know. Oh, there's my mint. Oh, sorry. And they get in some kind of, you know. And it, and the start of the race is of repentance. This journey and path of repentance is confession of sin. And so what I'm putting together for you today is, folks, don't be like David and have unconfessed sin. And if you just confess it to God, particularly if it involves other people, then you haven't completed the confession yet. But it's probably pride keeping you. Well, I'm just saying it. It is pride that's keeping you from being honest with someone you trust to be honest with. I have been dealing with this sin for years, for weeks, months, years, whatever it is, and I haven't told a soul. I keep it in the dark, hidden, because I'm so embarrassed about it. God wants to shine his light on it. He wants you to start your path of repentance by confessing that sin, and then repentance is the new decisions you've made the change of behaviors you're doing, the new ways that you're thinking, you're talking, and, you're, and where you're walking and what you're doing. Repentance is a journey. It's a path that you get on. It's not just a moment. It's, it starts at that turn, repenting, but it, it's not launched, that path, that journey, until they confess the sin. Isn't that good salad? That's good salad, isn't it? Uh, it's a good salad. 
So I'm going to actually strongly ask you to pray today that this be the day that you end the darkness and battling all alone. And you say, today, Lord, I want to confess my sin and begin a fruitful path of repentance. Because I've confessed this many times on my own by myself. I'm getting more discouraged. I'm feeling like I'm really never going to change. And many of you, it's this is the start of the journey that you haven't done yet or taken seriously. And is the way back from hell. It's the way out of the pit. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. Now, I don't have it up on here. I'm just going to read a few verses. Psalm 51. The title of the psalm, amazing. It's written in Hebrew. This is not, you know, some English scholar putting this in for us English Bible readers. This is in the ancient Hebrew. Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this psalm, he tells everybody what he did for all the centuries now, for 3,000 years. He said, this is the way back out of the dark pit, is this psalm right here. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Folks, this is the main course. This is the entree while we're spending so much money on this meal. This is why we came this is it right here is this verse. Now, you've heard me in, in a couple sessions past about uh, the, this Old Testament story. That it says, according to your loving kindness. Loving kindness is that Hebrew word hesed. The main Hebrew word to describe this loyal love, this faithful love, this love that is a covenant love that extends to his children. Let me tell you, folks. This is New Testament love right here. That God, agape love is the Greek word for it, is reaching out with his mercy in this love, loving kindness translated here. Sometimes it's, it's his mercy, it's other words used. But this is the meat. This is the entree, folks. That it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's awful painful on us. How far in the deep of the pit we are and close to hell we are his love is reaching out to us and he's got a path of repentance for you to bear fruit and to have a brand new life free from that darkness let's keep reading i'll start i'll go at, at verse uh, 2 wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, 
and blameless when you judge. Folks, he is praying a prayer of repentance. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. And he says, verse 3, for acknowledge my transgressions. That's his confession. I acknowledge that I sinned against you. I've sinned against Uriah. I've killed him. I've killed, met, uh, ruined Bathsheba's life. Lord God, I have, I am the spiritual leader. In fact, you know, this, this, is, this is punishable by death. Deuteronomy 17 says that kings, it says that kings, that's not the verse that says it, it's, it's, stone, it's another verse that says that adultery is, you can be stoned for adultery. But it says that kings are not to have multiple wives. So he started that compromise a number of women ago. So he had already sinned and that whole area of lust was growing in his life. And so with his power, and surely I'll just take her for one night. Oh, no, she got pregnant. Oh, no, what do I do now? Well, I will do a cover-up. That didn't work. Oh, the cover-up didn't work. Now we gotta do, I've got to kill him, and then we'll be done with this thing. And, and yet, at the lowest point of his spiritual life, he has the gall to say, God, wash me, cleanse me. According to your loving kindness, have mercy upon me. Folks, this is the the dessert. His response is amazing. The dessert is he believes God would take him back. He believes that God's loving kindness would extend this far. His mercy would save him from the judgment of stoning and death. And he would... Lou, whatever, he, he is believing and trusting in God that I still can have a life of hope and cleansing. I can ask. This is crazy that this man thinks he can't ask for forgiveness. He doesn't ask for it. He believes it. He receives it. And his heart and life is restored this day because of this good path of repentance, starting with him acknowledging his transgression his confession of sin. And, and folks, I just want to stop there because this psalm is amazing. We could just go on. Thank you, God, for the dessert. The greatest warning that even you could fall into great darkness and pit and, and, and commit sin after sin, and yet there's a way back for all of us, for any of us. It doesn't matter the pit. God is that loving kindness, merciful, and he cleanses us. So, go ahead and have the praise team come on up here. This living a lie is something I'm believing the Holy Spirit's going to break over your day. In any level degree, I cannot, you know, predict that. Because unconfessed sin and unconfessed bondages lead to 
I mean, dot, 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 you name it. How, how dark does it get? And so I'm trusting today that the Holy Spirit, in whatever area it is, in whatever degree, it's before a holy God, that you'll want to stop this darkness by confessing sin to someone that you trust. And a little bit later, as, as we close here in a little while, we always have an altar ministry team people down here. And, and they're still available. Uh, I'll be a while down here. The altar's open, uh, you know, to, to kneel and to uh, just to come and pray. But we're also going to add a couple of several more altar ministry people. And we're utilizing two classrooms for this. Uh, there's classroom 12 just right on the other side of this door. And um, I'm going blank. Is it, is, I think. Is that going to be men in there or is it going to be women in there? Men in this number 12 right here. And then on this end over here at the end of the hallway is room number 15 and there'll be some several chairs in there several chairs in there and there'll be a couple of you know a couple women in here uh, for the next you know 15 minutes or so uh, you know maybe longer a couple men over here so if you want to you know dismiss yourself from here but have more of a private setting to talk to someone and confess in that's available to you I want to close with this scripture. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read it to you. A couple of verses, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be, pre- be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Jesus Christ himself will sanctify you completely until the day he comes back. This is his promise of his work of his spirit and of his his ongoing work of purifying us. He is faithful and he will do it. Folks, have a vision of a life of freedom from sin and bondage. See your life blessed with this promise of sanctification. As I'm going through this study in David, I am seeing that David was called a man after God's own heart. Obviously, because of his humility, but, but he believed that in a time like this, his purity could be restored. That's incredible. That's the icing on the cake. That's the completed meal. That's the dessert. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're that much of a supernatural power for God that you could take any of us and you can purify us again. So yeah, I'm going to ask the altar ministry teams to go ahead and get in place here and places in the classrooms there.
ahead and bring some lights low in here so we have a little bit more privacy here in our prayer time. Let me go ahead and, and, and bless this and you as you go into this week. And then so the rest of this song and, and this time will be, um, you know, just uninterrupted. Father, thank you for this warning the darkness around us that tries to deceive us. We see you, devil. We see your strategy. Thank you, God, for shedding light on our lives and on this path that, Lord, we can start a path of repentance and be restored in purity, washed clean, white as snow, Cleanse us with hyssop, David called it this. Cleanse us is with like soap, just taking all the dirt, all the mire, all the muck off of us. Thank you. That is what you did on the cross. By dying for us, shedding your blood to be our cleansing agent to wash us new. And thank you, Lord, that you are the one that through the power of your resurrection we can receive your salvation. Lord, bless us into this week. May we have a sense of light and purity into this week, different than another week. Lord, we pursue this path of repentance, this path of restoration into this week. You're blessed to have a great week. strength and it is strong child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I sin had left a prayer for healing, prayer for something at work. The altar ministry teams are here. If it's other issues with confession of sin or a prayer about purity, they're available. The others are available. I'm available. You have a great week and know that we're a people of prayer and we can trust one another with these areas that the Lord wants to bring to light. So, Lord God, purify us as a body, cleanse us. Have a blessed day.